Divorce, an experience that most often involves mediation, attorneys, judges, potentially court, and the whole process can be filled with gaslighting. In today's episode, I'll be talking with someone who experienced gaslighting like this so intensely, she has now decided to specialize in helping women through this very specific journey that some of us have to go through. Listen in today as she shares her story and we discuss how to navigate this difficult process. I'm Sarah Morales, the host of this podcast, and I want you, yes, you, to be a guest on my podcast. Whether it's a topic like today's podcast or a personal story you want me to discuss, bring it. If you'd like to be on my podcast, please reach out to me and get on my calendar. I'll have the link in my show notes. My guest today is Kim Hansen Petroni. Kim knew she wanted to be a therapist and completed that process back in 2000. For the next 16 years, she enjoyed what seemed like a blessed life with her husband and four kids. But in 2016, she awoke to a new reality, a crisis beyond her comprehension, which forced her to dive into a career she knew she was meant to do. She is now a betrayal trauma specialist who is a board certified coach who is also both APSATS and IRCAM certified. And I'll have the links in the show notes about what those are so y'all can read up on those things. While she loves working with couples, her passion is supporting women as they walk through the isolating divorce process. To this end, she offers groups and has created a popular blog called Not a Casserole Widow, which I'm so curious where that title came from. I'm sure there's a story behind it. That blog offers support for women going through high-conflict divorces. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. Awesome. I'm so excited to have you. So will you take just like a minute and tell us, you know, a little bit of the backstory, not a casserole widow? Um, I was going through a divorce, and at that exact same time in the church that I was in, a pastor died. Mm, Okay. And I was able to kind of sit back and observe the complete difference of how both of us were treated. I was a widow from a marriage and she was an actual widow. Yeah. Who lost her spouse. And it just really opened my eyes as to how we're treated differently yet experiences. Nice. That's great. I love it. And so it's so memorable. Mm -hmm. So good on you. Great, great, great thing. Okay. So word of the day today is brave. Now, Oxford languages defines brave as ready to face and endure danger or pain, showing courage. I'm hoping y'all will indulge me as I read an excerpt from Glennon's book, Untamed. The backstory is when her daughter, she has two daughters, I think they're a couple of years apart. They were pretty young and they wanted to go in and get their ears pierced. So off to the mall, they went. Glennon writes, Amma ran ahead of me, leaped into the piercing chair and announced to the surprised 20-something piercer, let's do this. When I finally caught up, the piercer turned to me and said, are you her mother? I'm trying to be, I said. I feel that in my soul. Okay, do you want me to pierce her ears one at a time or both at the same time? Amma said, both, do it, let's go. Then she squinted her eyes, gritted her teeth, and flexed all her muscles like a tiny hulk. As they pierced her, I saw a couple of tears that she wiped away immediately. I looked at Amma and thought, she is so awesome. She's also six years from a felony. (laughs) She jumped down from the chair, buzzing with adrenaline. The woman working at the kiosk laughed and said, wow, she is so brave. 
Tish stood next to me, taking all of it in. She motioned for me to lean down closer and she whispered, actually, mom, I changed my mind. I don't want to get my ears pierced today. Are you sure? I asked. She looked over at Amma's earlobes, swollen grape tomatoes, and Amma said, come on, Tish, you only live once. Tish said, why does everyone say that when they're about to do dangerous things? How about you only live once, don't get dead early? Then she looked at me and said, I'm sure. The piercer turned to Tish and said, your turn, honey. I waited for Tish to speak. And she said, no, thank you. I'm not ready today. The piercer said, oh, come on, you can do it. Be brave. Look how brave your little sister was. Tish looked at me and I squeezed her hand as we walked away. She felt a little ashamed. I felt a lot annoyed. I don't think brave means what we've been saying it means. We tell our children that brave means feeling afraid and doing it anyway. But is this the definition we want them to carry as they grow older? When she is 17, headed out in a car driven by her teenage buddy, saying she's going to the movies, but actually going to the kegger down the street. Imagine calling to her, bye, babe, be brave tonight. What I mean by that is if you're in a scary situation and you feel afraid to do what your friends are encouraging you to do, I want you to ignore that fear and do it anyway. Just plow right through the gut instinct of yours. No. That is not the understanding of brave I want my children to have. I do not want my children to become people who abandon themselves to please the crowd. Brave does not mean feeling afraid and doing it anyway. Brave means living from the inside out. Brave means in every uncertain moment, turning inward, feeling for the knowing and speaking it out loud. Since the knowing is specific, personal and ever-changing, so is brave. Whether you are brave or not cannot be judged by people on the outside. Sometimes being brave requires letting the crowd think you're a coward. Sometimes being brave means letting everyone down but yourself. Amma's brave is often loud and go for it. Tish's brave is often quiet and wait for it. They are both brave girls because each is true to herself. They are not divided between what they feel and know on the inside and what they say and do on the outside. Their selves are integrated. They have integrity. Mm. A little bit more. It's worth it, (laughs) y'all. She trusted her own voice more than she trusted the voice of others. Brave is not asking the crowd what is brave. Brave is deciding for oneself. To me, that's the greatest bravery. That's true confidence, which means loyalty to self. That's what you move through the world with, Tish. Confidence, regardless of what others are calling brave at the moment, you stay loyal to yourself. It won't always be comfortable. Some will recognize you're brave. Others won't. Some will understand and like you. Others won't. But the way others respond to your confidence is not your business. Your business is to stay loyal to you. To be brave is to forsake all others to be true to yourself. That is the vow of a confident girl. So I read that because to me, going through the divorce process requires that kind of bravery. 
right? Not that this is scary and hard, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's I'm going to sink in and know what is true for me in this process, whether other people look at my decision, right? Like I remember I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you know, this is where I love the, you know, just live and going in the moment. I remember, um, people critiquing me or judging me, if you will, um, for me choosing not to, uh, fight for child support from my ex. I had my reasons why, and they were very personal to me. And if I would have gone after him for child support, I would have been going outside of my integrity for money. Not that it would have been a lot, but still it would have been some, right? Like I, I didn't, I didn't fight for it because that was being brave for me and for other people. It is go, right. Like, I, so I just, I loved that definition. I was like this, this is the word of the day for people going through this process. So what hits you about that excerpt, Kim? Like I almost started crying without reading it, but <laughs> what hits you about that excerpt? Uh, and a lot. I wanted to take notes. There's so many important words in there. And one of the things is the isolation that one feels when one is true to themselves, because yeah. it is, it's just you and yourself yeah. making a decision that only you can trust your instinct, your gut, yeah. everything about you before you can make a decision for your own personal future. It's not about what an attorney tells you. It's not about what a yeah. friend tells you. It's not, yeah. I mean, we can go with the black and white of what's available yeah. or not available, but ultimately it's all about you. Yeah. And, and we can take, we can take those things into consideration. Right. Like, like in the story, you know, Tish took into consideration what her sister was saying, what the, you know, piercer person was saying, what her mom was saying. And I love that she said, I'm not ready today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, well, girl, <laughs> amazing. Right. Like, anyways, um, well, I love that. Thank you for sharing that response. And, and I know that there's going to be so much validation through your story and through the things that you have to say, because so many women that I know and, you know, for my guys out there, even though Kim doesn't specialize in working with guys, like, this can still be, um, you know, applicable to you too. So I want you to feel like you have to tune out, right? Like I do have my guy listeners and, um, and so this is applicable to you too. So, um, so Kim, let's go ahead and dive into, you know, the part of your story that kind of led you into being this specialist. Um, you didn't just wake up one day, right? Like kind of like me, you just wake up one day and you know what, you know what I want to (laughs) do. I want to specialize in this. Um, you know, that's not how it came up for you. So how did you end up specializing in this? What's your, what's your kind of story? Um, my story is that I was married like you said, for 16 years, and there was betrayal in our marriage. Mm-hmm. And what really skyrocketed me skyrocketed me into a space of wanting to help other women was my court experience and my attorney experience. Yeah, It initially started off with me recognizing that there was one small thing that I wanted in my, in my divorce, mm-hmm. and that was the ability to continue to homeschool my children. Mm-hmm. And that completely threw my attorney sideways. He was okay. like, there's no way you can do it. It's not healthy for the kids. The kids need to integrate with other people. And so mm-hmm. I was stuck between what I knew about homeschooling versus what I was being told. Mm-hmm. And I just knew in my gut, in that isolating space, in that brief yeah. space that you mentioned, yeah. that I had to fight for that, yeah. even though it had never been done before. And so I got all of my information together and I pushed through a pretty hefty court hearing and and got the opportunity to continue homeschooling my kids. It was the right thing at that Mm -hmm. time for them. Yeah. What I also found out when I ended the court experience 
back in 2018 was that I had never felt so alone in my entire life. Mm. It was just me trying to figure out how to get through this and what should I, how, I don't even know how to talk to an attorney. I was like, he's my therapist. Let me email him every day. And my bill kept going up and up and up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was <even laughs> my therapist. Right. <laughs> but you know, there's like nobody I could talk to about it. Yeah. So I walked out of court and I was just like, I've got to make women understand that they're not alone Yeah. and I can do it. It's just my voice, but I'm here and they can talk mm-hmm. to me about this and get, I can give them a good experience and good knowledge and uh, good heads up. So I just really, my, my gut was that I didn't want women to be alone. It's sort of a, it's not really street talk. I can't walk up to people and let them know exactly what I do because it's awkward. Yeah. But, um, I do find that, that for me, it, it's to be able to look at a woman after two sessions or one session of working with them for them to suddenly say, I have a voice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that feeling too. <laughs> yeah. That's an amazing, amazing experience. So in the notes that you sent me, um, I know we talked about how, or you talked about how, you know, it started for you, this, this kind of process that you went through with fighting almost with your attorney who's supposed to be on your side, like from the moment you walked into his office and, um, you know, what stood out to me in the notes that you sent me is there were probably at least three or four sentences that all started with, I was told, I was told, I was told, right? Yeah. And there's kind of this, this energy to it of like, well, I'm the attorney, so I know how things are going to go down and you have to listen to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any kind of like insights or thoughts about just that dynamic and, and the, I, I make up, you weren't aware that that's how you started four sentences in a row. Yeah. Um, but obviously that's what you felt, right? Like you walked into that office. Talk, talk to me a little bit. Let's, let's di- dive into the details a little bit more about what you just said. Talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit more about that. Just that first experience and that feeling of being told over and over again, what you should do, what your reality is, what you can and can't do, all of those types of things. How did you feel walking away from that? devastated. Yeah. I was like, I thought I was crazy. I thought I must be the only person on the face of the planet trying to do this. I felt like there was no way for me to be successful about something that I felt so strongly about. Yeah. And as today, as I kind of reflect back, I understand now that attorneys base their decisions on their past experience. So if he's never been in a courtroom trying to fight for someone to do homeschooling, he's got no idea. And what I realized is that I couldn't quit. I couldn't give up because they were my kids and I'm Mm -hmm. blessed that they were my kids. Um, But I felt like there was no way to win. There was, it was me up against a mountain of knowledge that I didn't have a clue what was Mm. going on. But that made you feel really powerless. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So not only was I going through my own trauma of just emotional healing, then I was trying to convince this attorney Mm -hmm. what I thought I needed to do is the right thing. And he was saying, it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, But you stayed with him. Yes. I did stay with him and we have a wonderful relationship now where he actually keeps my advice and my insights and has learned a lot from me. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's a like plot twist (laughs) for me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't expecting you to say that. I mean, I kind of figured you had stayed with him, but you know, I, I know I know people who have changed, like, even though like, it's not 
it's really difficult to change midstream, but I, I know people who have changed in the middle of things because I'm like, they're not, I'm like, they were like, this attorney has taken me as far as they can take me and I need to go further. I need to push harder. I need more. And they're not, they're not able or ready or, you know, depending on the different types of Mm -hmm. people that might be on the other side. Right. From our potential ex to the, um, our potential, our soon to be ex's attorney to the judge, like all of these things are nuances that can change from person to person and from court appearance, court appearance, et cetera. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so there was obviously some gaslighting there, at least at the beginning. Right. Um, right. did you experience gaslighting anywhere else in this process? Like with any other people that were involved in the process? Well, a lot of people were telling me that I should just go out and date, that I should just get a job, that I should just let my kids go to public school, that Mm -hmm. I should just, I had to get my own life now. My life was Mm -hmm. different. I just needed to change everything. And I did not, I stuck to my core and I was, it just didn't feel right for me to completely stop and change my entire life to what I wanted. So, um, you know, one of the things I like to try to help people understand, you know, the nuances between what is kind of gaslighting and what is, you know, just somebody expressing concern, um, et cetera, like there has to be kind of a covert behavior by the other person, manipulation, even if they don't know that they're doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so our well-intentioned friends and family, I think that's what I hear you saying, right? Like people that were like, kind of felt like they knew what was best for you. Right. And so trying to define for you what you should do, what next steps you should take when it was time to take those next steps. Are those some of the things I'm hearing? What you said? Yeah. Um, So I would have to unpack that a little bit, but definitely I I think what I love with, with kind of the word of the day and kind of coming circling back around to that time and time again is kind of understanding that for some people that it might've been the right time to do those things but it wasn't for you. And so even if they were well-intentioned, like us being able to know, okay, like that's their opinion. I don't have to take that on as my own. Right. right? I don't have to reevaluate that and make my own reality. That's what I exactly. felt like they were trying to re-identify what my personal reality was. And they mm-hmm. actually had no idea. Yeah, exactly. It was their reality. Exactly. What about anywhere else? Like, um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure, like, if you can say this kind of stuff or not, I'm not sure what kind of stuff you've signed or whatever, but what about um, in any of the court proceedings? Do you feel like the judge, you know, did <laughs> y'all can't see, but she just did the biggest eye roll. It was amazing. <laughs> like, I didn't even get to finish that sentence. Um, so there was definitely some gaslighting by the judge. Um, yeah, I'm curious, you know, a lot of people it's kind of my new thing right now where I feel like we've all heard it now, probably ad nausea um, or nauseam. I'm not sure how you're supposed to say that, but whatever it is, um, you know, the like catchphrases that are like the gaslighty phrases, like you're crazy, you're too much, like, you know, you need a therapist, whatever. And those they're damaging, but I think the ones that aren't don't fit into that box, right. Are, are the ones that can really cause us to get thrown into conflict and confusion. And one of the things that I wanted to point out to our listeners today is the ability, especially, and I think this legal process of the gaslighting that 
throws things into chaos, Mm. right? Like those, the three C's, conflict, confusion, and chaos, right? Like I, I think this is where we, um, get a little bit more into the intentional side of things, especially from opposing attorneys. So now we're going to take it from our soon to be ex or family and friend. We're going to go into like the, the actual, um, you know, court people that would be involved in court or mediation or that kind of a thing. And I think that especially opposing attorneys, like those slime bucket attorneys that intentionally do things like, mm-hmm. like putting in things at the last minute or, changing, you know, manipulating reality by distorting the facts or twisting things that you've said, like intentionally causing chaos. Did you experience that in your process? You know, it's interesting. I was thinking um, when you go to the conflict, confusion and chaos, I had at one point an attorney question me about my counseling practice, which I don't have. I have a coaching practice. Yeah. And I uh, kept repeating myself in the courtroom to say, it's a, it's a coaching practice. It's very, very different than counseling. And then she yeah. asked me, who did I coach? And I said, betrayed partners. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you should be able to coach anybody, right? And I was like, well, I mean, I guess I could, but I'm not good at that. This is what I'm good at. It's what my passion is. She said, she kept trying to tell me that I needed to do a different type of coaching mm. because it reflected poorly on ah, the relationship, okay. the actual relationship. And uh-huh. just was really trying to make me have this inner conflict of, well, maybe I am doing something bad. For me because yeah. Maybe this isn't working well. And then I was totally confused and I'm sitting on a stand and then that just led to chaos. Um, yeah. I don't even know how to respond to what you're saying. I'm totally lost right now. Yes. Um, yes. So very and, intentional. Yes. Especially I, when you're completely emotionally unsettled on it. On a, on yeah. A I hadn't even a thought about when you're on the stand. Yeah. Like that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> that's yeah. where that those t- looking out for those three C's and I think even prepping for them, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm getting ahead of myself and talking about, you know, some setting our alarm kind of strategies and tips, but um, that was just like a, Oh, ding. Like I didn't have to go to court for mine. So nice. like yeah. other than just go before a judge and judge like, okay, granted that was it for me. So, yeah. um, it's one of the mixed blessings of the legal, <laughs> legal <laughs> stuff. You know, my ex was still in jail when I was, you know, in front yeah. of the judge. So it was, it was easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was difficult in other ways. So what? anyways, um, do you remember any, and it's okay if you don't, but do you remember any specific examples or phrases that were used um, in that process by the opposing attorney or by the judge that felt particularly gaslighty to you? Or maybe I could phrase it another way. Are there phrases that I make up probably you experienced or you've heard some of your other mm-hmm. clients experience that you kind of alert other people to like, watch out for this phrase. This is kind of meant to gaslight you. Anything like that come to mind for you? Yeah, I guess the only thing that keeps coming to mind is, well, you guys should communicate better. Okay. Just communicate better. Mm-hmm. Just talk to them differently. Okay. Just- well, what, what was the inference there? Because their definition of better <laughs> probably does not align with your definition of better because you probably were communicating quote unquote better, which means like having our boundaries and not allowing people to talk to us in a certain way and not allowing people to gaslight us and shutting down communication when that happens. Yeah. That's good communication, right? But I make up that's not what the judge was saying or other people were saying. So what was the inference there? 
the inference is that you can have an oral conversation with as an individual and mm. accomplish goals together jointly wow. in a mm-hmm. uni- uniform manner. And I had very clearly at some point early on realized that oral communication got gibbered all up. It was like gibberish yeah. for both of us. I would get heightened emotionally and then it just didn't work out well. So I knew that specifically having written documentation all the time was where we needed to go. And his, the judge in this situation was just like, well, you should just go to therapy. You should just talk to each other. You can just go to this anger management class. You can, you know, whatever, wherever he assigned us to go that right. that's how you can do this. Right. Yeah. I mean, one would think that those things would be successful, right? right? But, but for most, I, I, I know this for you and I, I'm making up for most of my listeners, and I can definitely say everyone that I have coached, mm. when they are at the process of divorce, they have already tried any of those things yes. that they believe could actually help. Yes. Right? So it's not like, oh, damn it, you know, I'm so stupid. I didn't think of that. <laughs> right? Like it's kind that of come on, cross my mind. Right? You know, like <laughs> come on, judge. Right? Like I'm not a, I'm not an idiot. Right. Like I've tried all of these things. There is a reason I do not Mm -hmm. feel safe in this relationship. There is a reason I have resorted to only communicating via, you know, email or even I know quite a few of my clients who have had to resort to only communicating through their attorney. Right. Because it got so bad. Right. So, um, I mean, to me, that's a bit condescending almost. I don't know. Exactly. There's. I make up that there's a lot of things in this process that really, especially for us women. Now, again, men, I know it happens to you too, but Mm -hmm. we are a patriarchal society and it's just the court system favors men. I'm sorry. It just does Um, over and over again. I see it and I'm sure you do too, Kim. Um, So, you know, based on the women that you've worked with, I know this is a, a a question I didn't prep you for, so you know we'll just go with it and see what happens. Right. But, but based on the women that you've worked with, how common would you say it is to hear these types of comments towards women, especially the women who are divorcing due to emotional or psychological abuse and or betrayal? It's common all the time. I'd say probably ninety percent. There. Yeah. You know, and when I look at the statistics, they say that, I don't know, 15 to 30% of divorces are high conflict, the rest are normal, okay, relational, just fell apart kind of things. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that that number is much, much higher. Yeah. Than that. And I um, I don't understand. It just blows my mind that a judge who sits in a courtroom all day long and hears this stuff has the audacity to even think that this woman sitting in front of him, who is not only traumatized by being there, hasn't tried everything. Right. She's not just flippantly destroying her family. Right. Right. Well, I mean, we know, you know, that the court systems, you know, kind of bent of what is normal and what is not normal, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's pretty much, unless you're being physically abused, the rest is like low, whatever. Right. So that's why I make up that percentage is that way, right? Because they're not including gaslighting, psychological, emotional abuse, um, you know, sex addiction and the things that are not, you can't, you can't heal that just by going to some anger management classes or getting some therapy. Like, you know, again, gee, I wish, I wish I would have thought of that. (laughs) Right. Like, um, you know, so I I agree with you that, you know, based and that's why I asked your experience, like not what the statistics say, 
Yeah. Right. Because it just, it doesn't represent what we go through. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lot of us go through. So um, thank you for that. I think that'll be really validating for a lot of people listening. So I really enjoyed hearing your response um, on how you responded to the things um, that you were talking about in your notes and and how, um, you know, well, these things specifically being when you were being told, you know, you can't, you know, do this, it's never been done before or whatever, right? Like, you had a very specific initial response, right? Um, to me, um, what this stirred up in you was inspiring, right? Would you please share those things with my listeners? I think what, oh man, what fired up in me was that I was just not going to be told I couldn't do something by someone else. And I was just had this raw determination that I was going to make sure that what was in the best interest of my children would be accomplished. And yeah. I was determined that no one was going to dissuade me. So what it did do for me is that it helped me learn that I could actually seek out knowledge. I could create a document. I could speak for 15 minutes. I could talk in front of a magistrate. I could do all of these things that I was petrified of doing Mm. and had never done before, but I could do them and I could do them well. I love that. I love that. And I think, again, just circling back to, you know, wanting to tie it back into this kind of theme of the day, which is true bravery, right? Like I believe that when we are connected to those things inside of us that we know we're not willing to let go of, right? That because they are so deep in our knowing, right? That's when this, this inspiration comes of, you know what? I don't care if I have to, you know, A, B, C, D, E, I'm going to do all A, B, C, D, E and F, right? Yeah. Like in order to, and, and that's where I think that kind of concept of, even though I'm afraid I can do it. Right. It's not just blindly. I'm afraid and I can do it. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm afraid and I can do it because I know in my knowing that it's something I'm, I'm willing. It's like a hill I'm willing to die on kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'm thinking that I was so downtrodden at that point in time, it actually inspired me to live. It inspired mm. me to find a greater goal and a purpose for myself. Mm-hmm. One of the, the fun little things that I like little sayings and things like this. And um, one of the things that I came across was the, oh, what is it? The, oh, the outsiders told me that I couldn't handle the storm, mm-hmm. but I whispered back, I am the storm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that one. I am. Mm-hmm. And I will storm for my children. I will fight for them. Yes. That's about the only thing that really helped me survive a very, very dark time. Mm, I, just, I just got goosebumps, right? Which it's like, y'all didn't hear this part because we we're going to have this cut out, but it's like a hundred degrees outside and I'm hot and sweaty, but I just got, <laughs> I just got goosebumps from that. Mm. I love that. That is so powerful and inspiring. Um, and I want to balance that out, right? With the reality of what it's like to go through this process because we can be inspired and we can accomplish new things and we can yeah. find purpose in our pain and, and all of these things. And, you know, each person's experience is different, yeah. right? Um, it is pretty common for a divorce process to take some time, right? I think um, one of our colleagues, Galen, did a, a study once, I think it's average of 18 months, some mm-hmm. more, some less. Um, how long did yours take? And how would you typify that time? From the point of my filing for divorce to our actual hearing was a full two years. Okay. Um, and we are still in and out of court. It's been 
four years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know that, uh, in your notes, you talked about how at the beginning, I'm not sure how long you had to argue against your own attorney, like trying to get things and you had your, your now ex, you know, trying to prove that you weren't competent and different things like that. And I imagine that that must have really worn you down, right? That's a long time to be fighting all of these kinds of things. And I know so many people get discouraged, right? Yeah. And, sh- and shame themselves for the struggles that they have during this process right. that seems like an eternity, right? Like mm-hmm. I- I'm imagining my kids and I like often will quote SpongeBob. And this is one of the uh-huh. things where it's like one eternity later, there's like this robotic voice and it uh-huh. says, right. And it's just like this passing of time and it could be just an hour or it could be two years, but when you're in the middle of it, it feels like an eternity. Right. Um, and uh, I'm wondering if you would just share a little bit of kind of those worn down feelings and some of the things as just a way to, to provide some solidarity with some of the people that I know are listening and will feel discomfort and maybe reduce some of their shame. Um, well, first of all, it sucks. It just <laughs> sucks. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It is not a good feel space. Um, and to really give yourself grace to be kind and mm-hmm. restful for your heart, your soul. A lot of times people will say, do self-care. I don't know what that is when you're miserable. <laughs> right, right. It's just everything is dark and bleary and yucky. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing is to understand that you're in a, on a foreign planet. You don't know what the rules are. You've not invested any time in this. You have no idea what's happening. And to give yourself grace, don't put a whole lot of new stuff on your plate. Mm-hmm. Rest if you can. Enjoy mm-hmm. the small moments mm-hmm. that are available to you. And just understand it's hard work. Every time yeah. you touch a document that enforces that you're about to get a divorce, it just sucks the life out of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that would be the first thing is just to really recommend, understand that it's hard. Yeah. And you can't just barrel through it. You, you can't. And, um, you know, I, I, if I may, I'd love to to read from the notes that you sent me. Is that cool? Can I do that real quick? So you, yeah. you, you sent to me and I, I put this whole thing in my notes because it was so powerful. Um, you said, in spite of my determination, I was in trauma and extremely challenged when it came to clearly presenting what I wanted and why. I endured lawyers questioning me and my brain completely shutting off. At one point, a judge asked me to add two numbers together and I couldn't. I felt incompetent. I remember the judge looking at me kindly, but I don't think he understood the level of trauma I was in and had been in court all day in the same room as my ex, which for some of us, right, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, psychological, can potentially be our abuser. Yep. Right. So I just wanted to read that because I just thought it was such, I mean, it's like, again, for my listeners, they know I love Glennon and I I think she coined the phrase, I don't know, but brutal, brutal and beautiful, right? Like, because it's beautiful and it's almost brutal rawness of what it was like, right? To be in that place, like... I'm just getting, I'm like getting emotional thinking about the women who have never heard another person yeah. say 
that my brain was so shut down. I couldn't even add two numbers together and feeling, Oh my God, I'm not the only one. Like I'm not losing my mind. I'm not broken. There's not something wrong with me. This is normal when you are going through traumatic processes, which divorce, even when it's the right thing to do is traumatic. And the irony of that is that in that moment, you're actually fighting for your entire future. Yeah. So in your most trauma, traumatized moment, you're yeah. also fighting for the very crux of everything that you have to live for. Yeah. It, it's just. Yeah. It's which, is, which is why support yep. in, in a variety of different ways. I often tell people, you know, you need to have your support team, not just support right. person, but your team. Right. Um, because you need this from this person here. This, I know that's one of your tips since I won't take too much from, from that, but mm-hmm. it takes a whole team. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so, so, so important. Um, okay. So I know you shared that this kind of ended for you, the, um, the divorce process, you were granted the, the opportunity to homeschool your kids for two more years. Yeah. Yep. That is correct. Yes. That's awesome. Um, and then in your, again, in your notes, you shared something very important or significant um, that happened as you walked out of the courtroom that day, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, um, but there was something that happened that set you on the trajectory that you are now living out. And I'm just wondering if you'll paint that picture for us a little bit. I was, after two days, um, I just beaten up, exhausted, physically, emotionally drained. And in the state I live in, the judge actually doesn't give you a decision at that okay. moment. So you have to wait an unidentified mm-hmm. amount of time. So I walked out of the courtroom and I really didn't know if this had been a success or not. But when I walked okay. out of the courtroom, I just felt so heavy. I thought, if I had a me next to me, this wouldn't be so hard. Mm-hmm. I did not want another woman to have to endure what I went through without support. And that just, I was like, I'm just a person. All I got to do is talk to me. And Mm -hmm. that would help anyone. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I initially just decided I was going to make myself available and start a coaching business that would Mm -hmm. really help women and coach them through a divorce proceeding and provide them with like tools. Like if you're sitting in front of the judge, chew peppermint gum, that'll help you think more clearly. I mean, just small little nuggets. Mm-hmm. of information to help them out. Yeah, that'd be amazing. So I know um, that when you, you you started coaching, you were told that your reality was wrong, that there was no way you could support your kids. And sure. let's wrap up this interview time by, I want you to share what the truth is. Where are you now today? As it pertains um, today, to your kids, I, I, your job, your co- mm-hmm. your all that kind of stuff. Um, well, I have one kid that's ready to go to college and my three other kids, I have them in, um, a private school environment. Mm-hmm. I am also almost hundred percent self-sufficient. I've been doing this full time for two years. Amazing. And, um, every, my words to other women who think that they can't do it is to walk through every single door that you can find as scary as it is. Nothing yeah. will be as terrifying as sitting in a courtroom in front of a judge. You can do it. Yeah. That's so let's go ahead and take this into the deconstruction zone. And today, instead of 
like deconstructing your specific story, Kim, I thought Mm -hmm. I'd mention some general gaslighting behaviors to look out for when it comes to the people and circumstances that are often involved in the divorce process. And then at the same time, um, it just felt a little bit more intuitive for me to go ahead and give the tips and tools of how to respond to those things um, by naming what our the listeners today can do. So I'm kind of going to do the deconstruction zone and setting your alarm at the same time. And, um, you know, kind of after each point, I love if you have any additional thoughts um, to, to jump in with them. And then um, y'all having Kim on today, I'm going to have her set a snooze after we're done with this. So um, let's start with this point for me that anyone, whether it's, I'm speaking to my listeners, your attorney, your mediator, your judge, family members, friends, even yourself, right? Because we can self-gaslight, right? Anyone who tries to convince you that your thoughts and feelings and needs aren't valid, it doesn't matter if you may not be able to win that point, right? If they try to convince you that it's not a valid thing to even feel or think or perceive, it's not okay. The starting point from anyone, including yourself, needs to be validation. It makes sense that you want that. Of course, you would want that. Um, It must be hard to want that and not be sure that you're going to get it. Like any of those kinds of statements shows that somebody is in your corner, right? They don't have to say, oh, for sure, we're going to get this 100% easy, right? Like we don't need that. We just need someone to say, yeah, you're not crazy for wanting that, right? And so I think my kind of takeaway from that is, you know, first of all, sorting out safe and unsafe by how people respond. Um, And two, especially when it comes to the person or the people that are supposed to be on your side asking for that. Like if they say a statement that is invalidating, you know, you can say, you know, I, I hear, I hear your point, but right now, could you just start with some validation for me, please? (laughs) Right. Like, um, I think that's number one. What, any thoughts to that, Kim? Yeah. Asking for what you need is critical. That's a great point. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Point number two, when we're talking about or thinking about what I would would label as the opposing side, right? So you're soon to be X, the other party's attorney. Um, I don't know. The judge is supposed to be impartial, but you know, it depends on where you are and all that kind of stuff. I live in Texas and it often feels like the goal boys club. So, um, (laughs) you know, um, I've heard it a lot. Um, so when it comes to anybody that would fit into that category, again, I mentioned it earlier, that this really be on alert for things that create conflict, confusion, and especially that chaos piece, right? This is often a ploy to get people to give up and give in, right? Like if I can create enough conflict, you're going to back off. If I can create enough confusion, you're just going to throw up your hands in despair and be like, I can't make sense of this. Find whatever you need, whatever you want. Right. So when you see those things, um, again, be on the lookout for um, reality manipulation. I talked about this earlier with Kim, Um, the facts about what happened, twisting words and statement diversion, right? Like not answering questions on their side and coercion is a a tool um, or a tactic that I have seen quite a bit used by people Mm -hmm. in this arena. Right. Which, again, coercion is, is simply like. Um, saying things with a kind of a threat attached to it, right? Like, well, I'll give you this if you want, if you do this or, right, that coercion piece, right? 
So anytime you see and hear them exaggerate your faults, right? Projecting onto you things that are not true, being condescending or disrespectful and twisting statements. Let that be the, your huge red flag to stop. If you're actually in court, you know, I don't know if you can like, hey, you know, can we call a recess or whatever, like you being able to just do a grounding exercise, like there are things that you can do to prepare yourself. Again, if you're if you're home, it's one thing. If you're in court, it's another thing. You might need kind of tips and tactics, but whatever it is, coming up with a strategy to ground yourself, right? Like you can't necessarily argue with them. Um but but for you to be able to stay connected to what you know to be true, check in with your truth and your support team. All right. Any thoughts on that one, Kim? Yeah. You know, one of the things that was popping into my mind that in a courtroom, because you do become so heightened and if you have an attorney, especially asking you a whole bunch of questions and coming after you, a very easy way to sort of slow things down a lot is to reflect back to the attorney. I'm not sure I understand. Mm. Could you rephrase it? That nice. gets your mind not only a couple of seconds to slow down. I had a friend tell me that. Yeah, um, it's good. Your mind a couple of seconds to slow down, and then it just stops that attack, which is meant to put you off. off exactly. Off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So good point. Yep. All right, and then my last point um, for my part of this deconstruction and setting your alarm is kind of shifting it. So not what other people might be doing, but back to yourself and the things that you have more control over because you can't in this process, stop the person from trying to be coercive, from trying to do, you, you can't, that's not where our authentic power is. So what do we have more power over? Um, I have two things under this. The first one is knowing that it's normal to be in a vulnerable position due to the nature of the quote unquote professionals involved in this process. If we go in knowing that we're vulnerable, we go in a little bit differently, right? So there's a, a, a saying that I kind of, or principle that I kind of teach a lot of my clients and it, it helps regulate our nervous system. So it's a self-regulation tool. And that is, there's a difference between being surprised and disappointed. When we are in trauma, being surprised can feel like danger, right? Um, so going into a situation and then being surprised, like, oh my gosh, I feel super vulnerable, can set off a trauma response. However, if we go in and, you know, I'm disappointed that I feel vulnerable, I really didn't want to feel vulnerable, but I'm also not surprised, we feel more in control. We don't feel surprised, mm -hmm. right? It changes the energy and the dynamics. So don't be surprised. It's normal to feel that way, right? A lot of the people and, you know, judges, attorneys, that kind of a thing, they seem really certain and that can throw us off. So be prepared to be interacting with people who seem certain, but nobody's more certain about you than you, right? Um, they also are in a place of authority, right? So know that you don't have to betray yourself, right? Going back up to that brave, right? you don't have to betray yourself and just listen to what they're saying, okay? You get to ask all the questions. You get to try to fight for what you and your kids, if you have any, need to feel safe and secure. You get to do that, okay? Um, and then my second point under this is being aware, again, difference between being surprised and disappointed. Be aware of the urge to fight for your reputation, right? Because that can be a big thing. They're going to try to throw you under the bus, make you look like not a good mom or a good partner or competent at your job or whatever, right? 
And it's, it's like a um, pushing buttons, right? We want to not be in a place where our buttons are easily pushed, right? Because then we just kind of reinforce or can potentially reinforce the narrative that they are trying to paint about us. We don't want to do that. Okay. So be aware of that fight for that and to be understood, right? Like we can get into this place where we're trying to explain why we want what we want. And then, and then we're kind of giving away um, our power because it can look like we're asking for permission from other people to want what we want. And we don't do that. Right. Um, So there's a fine line here, right? Because I know we have to be intentional and not stepping into, um, you know, setting our person off depending on where they are. Like sometimes we have to do weird things. <laughs> I often tell people the divorce process is a whole thing. Sometimes we don't get to be exactly who we would want to be. We're not free to be us because we're dealing with a shit show over here. <laughs> right. So it can be really crazy. So, but that, but it's more about the energy than the actual things that we say and do. Right. So being mm-hmm. mindful of not going into um, an energetic place where we're becoming desperate or begging right? Um, you can explain yourself, share your perspective, you can fight for it, or you can choose not to, right? Kind of like I talked about, I chose not to fight for my money and that was brave, right? Um, but we don't do it to win, right? Or to prove a point. We do it from the energy of standing in our truth, right? And knowing that you can't convince anyone to believe you. My job today is to speak my truth. Okay, so let's take this into setting the snooze button. I know, Kim, that you came with your top three tips for us today. Would you please share those with my listeners? I will. May I tag onto the, your standing in your truth? Because yes. one of the things with standing in your truth is to stand up in your truth, to mm. have your body language mimic nice. what you want it to be, not necessarily mm-hmm. what's in your heart always. But I always tell my clients before you walk into the courtroom, go into the bathroom. Stand as tall as you can, stretch your hands up over your head and make yourself as tall as you can be because it impacts how you perceive yourself. Nice. Love it. Good. Very good. Um, (laughs) All right. All right. So my top three things that I find is women wait and men too, of course, Um, they wait for divorce to feel like it's time. It's ready. Mm -hmm. It's going to feel good. Divorce is never going to feel good. It just doesn't. It's not meant to feel good. And to understand that Walking into a space where you're going to feel miserable, it's going to be heavy and it's going to be hard does not mean it's going to deplete you, but it can in the end refresh you. And yep. it, but it's tough stuff. Yep. It will teach you resilience. Yep. Um, I also find that when clients come to me initially, it's kind of like sitting in a big forest with a whole bunch of trees in front of you and you have no idea which way to turn. Mm. But I really hone in on what is that top thing that you want to fight for? Yes. It is that pinnacle thing that you are unwilling to budge. And we start with that. We don't always tell opposing party that that's right. our key because right, that's right. a nugget. Um, right. Mm-hmm. right. And yeah. I knew that no matter what, that that was where I needed to go and figure out how to make that happen. There's some things that I compromised along the way. Yeah. Um, so understanding what your main objective is, what you know, if it's a house, car, kids, whatever it is, let's Love figure that. out what that is. Love that. And, the last thing is you have to have support. You cannot yeah. do this on your own. And you know what you said, Sarah is having a person here, a person here, a person here, having that whole tribe that's willing to build you up from Facebook platforms, from women that you know, or couples or support or whomever your higher power supporter people are mm-hmm. to really encourage you mm-hmm. as you walk through this, 
you, you can't do it alone. And unfortunately, sometimes we get stuck in the shame space of, I don't really want to talk to anybody about my crap. Yeah. And in fact, that's exactly what you need to do yep. is to talk to someone to validate yep. you and have yourself validated. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I think one thing I would love to, to add to, to that um, is when I think of a support team, right? Like I think of the professionals, definitely therapist, coach, you know, um, attorneys. I also mm-hmm. think of um, support people like groups and, you know, forums and different things like that. I think it's also important to include in our support team um, people that are just going to be there, like to help us laugh. Yeah. Right. Um, people that we can call on when we're like, I haven't showered or cleaned my house in a week. And can yeah. you like, come watch my kids for half a day so I can do that or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. like expanding our understanding of what we mean by team, right? Like mm-hmm. think of all, you're a holistic, you're a whole person. So your team needs to be holistic too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I quote this quote often. It comes from my friend and colleague, MJ Dennis, where she said, you're only as needy as your unmet needs. So go ahead and list all of the needs that you have and then create your team from that right? You can have 10 different people. There's no limit, right? Like you might have somebody who's your person, like I'm going to get away for the weekend, right? And that's the person that you go and get whatever, whatever your needs are, right? So I would love to just add that to the, to that um, last point, because I think people only think about their highest needs and not holistically. Um, So thank you so much for those tips, Kim. That was awesome. Um, did you want to take a a minute or two to share about any upcoming groups or programs that are on this topic for my listeners and how to find you? Sure. Um, I do have groups that I rotate out every eight weeks. Um, some of them are the starting point. If you are trying to figure out if you need a divorce, if you're trying to walk through a divorce and are being pulled in a variety of different ways, it's an eight week group. And then I have a 2.0 group for those who have either completed divorce and are now trying to investigate who they are and um, how not to make similar mistakes again. How can you feel confident in yourself as you move forward in your life? Um, so those are two groups that I rotate out every eight weeks. I usually start one in the fall and then mm-hmm. and then again in January. I do educational series on court, how to what you should ask for in a courtroom, what you should ask, what you look for an attorney how to okay. behave, how to dress, all that good stuff. And I do those webinars a couple of times a year. Um, so, and then I also do groups where I support women just as um, one-on-one coaching. And you okay. can find me at www.coachinghope, the number four in the letter U.com, coaching. Perfect. Perfect. I was just going to ask where could they find this and you intuited that. So awesome. Thank you. Well, wrapping up today, if you want to join me in a discussion around today's topic, I invite you to come join me at 1 p.m. Eastern in a live stream on TikTok. Yes, TikTok. I have joined the TikTok bandwagon, y'all. It's a whole thing. So um, yep, guilty. I'll have the link to my page in the show notes for you. Kim, thank you so much for being my guest today. It has been so good. I have loved every second of it. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute honor. (laughs) Awesome. 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 And thank you, my listener for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you think others would benefit from it, please share it. We know so many people that are (laughs) divorcing. I know, I know I do. Um, And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening 
all that you already are. And to send us on our way, let's let our anthem of this podcast take us out. Not today. We got stars in our eyes like diamonds. We got heart in the field of lighting. Yeah, we burn it up. We got all the magic shot out if you have it. Yeah, we go with the flow like a riptide. Take a walk if you're not on my side. Yeah, we're dangerous. You're not gonna throw me always. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no.